and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Why, whom seekest thou? She supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. And she turned herself and said unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I am ascended to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told disciples what she had seen, that she had seen the Lord, and that he had spoken these things unto her. May the Lord his blessing to the rest of our text this morning. This is the greatest, they were celebrating the greatest day in history, the resurrection of our wonderful Savior and Lord from the grave. I just thought it was interesting that the greatest days in humankind are the days that God gets involved. The creation story, the creation days, uh, the Passover lamb, the flood where God works in people's lives, the, the return, the incarnation, his, the, everything that's the best about us always has to deal with him. Isn't that amazing? The best, days of my li- the best day of my life was when I trusted Christ as my personal Savior. The second best day was when I married my wife. But she would say, I'm, she always wants to be second because the Lord is first. And that's the way it should be for us. The best days. And this is a wonderful day. We're talking about the celebration of Christ. We serve the risen Savior. Muhammad, we can go to his grave. Confucius, we, he died. Buddha died. Joseph Smith died. Alan uh, White died. Mary Baker Eddy died. Taz Russell died. Joseph Smith died. Brigham Young, they've all died. But our Savior is alive. Once in, uh, he's just alive forever. And so it should be exciting. One day we're going to be part of the resurrection, uh, our bodies. If those who have gone on before will come back with the Lord at the rapture and get their new bodies. If I'm alive when that happens, which we all are looking forward to being a part of, I trust. And you're ready. In a moment, we'll be changed. Up we go. Tenor or alto, one of two parts. If they're tenor, if they're coming down, alto, if they're out here, however you want to call it. Or altos are coming down, the tenors are going to change in a moment. Here we go. It's going to be great. So he lives. You ask me how I know he lives. The Bible tells me so. Now he lives in my heart. I know the rest of that song. You ask me how I know he lives within my heart. I know that's what the song says. But more importantly than the song is God's word tells me that he is alive. Do you know this, this Savior that I know? Do you know the same thing? I trust that you do. He's the resurrected Redeemer. Four M's. First M is Mary at the tomb. And we see her discovery in one and two. Back over to our text 21. And the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark into the sepulcher and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. And she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple. Now if you remember the other disciples two or three or four times in here, who is that? That's John the writer of the gospel. He didn't say he, she came and got Peter and I. Or I and Peter, or Peter and I, or me and Peter, everyone. He says the other disciple. I like it. The one whom Jesus loved. I'm telling you, he had a special relationship with Jesus to be able to even the one whom Jesus loved. By the way, he loves us as well. I sometimes struggle with that. How could he love me? Because I know me. I know me. And how could he love me in all my sin? And yet, still, he still loves me, even though I'm his child. I know that, but I still always do the right thing. Mary was a brave woman, not afraid of the dark, not afraid of the graveyard, not afraid of the guard. Perhaps perfect love have cast out fear on Mary's part, and she comes 
to the, the grave. She came to the tomb while it was yet before even daylight. She arrives and finds the stone gone, and she turns in verse 2 and goes back to get John and Peter. Now, what, what you should, a bell should go off in your mind. The last time we find Peter, he's weeping bitterly. Now he and John have reconnected and they are together and Mary Magdalene knows where they are and she goes and gets them and tells this wonderful story of what she has seen. And Peter therefore went forth in verse 3, the other disciple, and came to the sepulcher. In verse 5, you find, uh, verse 6, and cometh Simon Peter following him and went to the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes lying. That seeth is a quizzically looking. Peter at first... Uh, might take a little while. Why would you say that? Because in verse 9 it says, For as yet they knew not the Scripture. Until this point in time, they didn't believe that he was going to rise from the dead. Matter of fact, John says, even after the resurrection, unless I see the nail prints in his hands and in his side, I'm not going to believe. Put your hand, and then the Lord shows up, and oh, John and Thomas, I'm sorry, Thomas says that. And then Thomas says, My Lord and my God. So Thomas was a doubter. So I call him doubter, doubting Thomas. Once he saw it, man, he said, my Lord and my God. He realized that Christ was who he said he was. So the first reaction to the news was one of action. He took the lead, and I can imagine John now writing about 95 AD, remembers the scene probably very well. He's younger than Peter, and he takes off running, and he gets there first, and he gets to the tomb, and he stops. Peter, the, the blustering one, runs right on in and see what, see, to see what's going on. John, verse 5, stoops and looks in and sees the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Uh, quite unusual. If they had taken the body, there would be nothing left. Or, you know, and they, the person dies, they wrapped them in all, like a, a, a mummy. They wrapped them up, this completely wrapped them up. And, and then it was, had to take everything with him or, or cut all that hardened cloth off to get to the body. So, how can you explain the claws still claws still lying on the in the tomb on the little the ledge there? There's but just one explanation. The body just came right up through them, and he was risen. The body he was risen from the dead. It's, it's the only thing that makes sense. Word about the linen clothes also. The Bible says that the linen clothes were lying, literally, it's still in their folds and in a separate place. Everything about the scripture, about the recording of God's resurrection, only thing that makes sense is what is true. He is risen from the dead. He has conquered death. The body is not here for he is risen. It's the only thing. But pastor, some people say he just swooned and nearly died. And when they put him in the tomb, he was able to revive. And he was somehow had a crook. I don't even know how he got the door open. No, he was entombed for the burial. There's no way he could get gotten out of that. You take two or three ropes and we can bind you pretty close. Can you imagine wrapped in claws? He couldn't have moved if he wanted to, physically speaking. I'm telling you, he died. He surrendered his life on the cross. <coughs> so the, the, the clothes are not disturbed. So it's quite unusual. Had the body been removed, there'd have been nothing left. But he is he's alive. Look at verse 8 now, if you would there, please. It says there, then then went he and also the other disciple, this would be John, which first came to the sepulchre, and he saw and believed. What a blessing. 
Well, it says in verse 10, though, that they went into their own home. I'm telling you, there should have been a steady stream of people coming out of Jerusalem to a tomb where someone has risen from the dead. Disciples should listen, come and see. And I know they didn't have megaphones or internet or social media or all those kinds of things. They're probably better off for it. Personal opinion. They have all those things. But I'm telling you, this is the greatest event ever happened in history. There should have been people coming. There should be people coming to church this morning across Greenup counties. If you name the name of Christ, you should be involved in a local church. Now, there are a few who are, I understand that you're sick or some who are disabled and cannot come. But if you are able, as a believer, a child of God, you're not called the lackadaisicalness, if that is a word. It's a battle. Onward, Christian soldiers. It's easy. And sometimes to think back and we see, I talked to Stephanie on the way in, you know, oh, how about, what would it be like to have uh, Sundays where you did nothing, you slept in until 10 o'clock and you never went to church at all and you just had the whole day to yourself to fish and to read. God's not called you to that. That's for the unbelieving world. The believing world, He's called us to serve. And by the way, our time to... To re- and have the easier part of services in heaven. Right now, and by, by the way, that's not a lot to ask us to be in his house one day a week, one, a Wednesday night, to read our Bibles. That's just the least we can do. Is it not? It is. So don't let this idea of um, that the, the world's got big. What's going to happen when they stand before God? Depart from me, you that work with iniquity. I never knew you. I'm telling you, I'd rather be on God's side. And by the way, it's, it's that peace that cometh, that passes understanding what I'm doing, what God wants me to do, and what He's called us to do. What a blessing they've missed. And I can imagine John goes home and tells maybe tells the other people in his family, I'm telling you, he's alive. There's no other explanation. I see the grace code. I believe he told us over. We just wouldn't grasp it. He's alive. Alive. So her discovery, also now I see her devotion, verse 11, and Mary stood without in the sepulcher, weeping as she wept. She stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. John and Peter went their way out of the tomb, but Mary stayed behind to weep and to mourn the loss of her Lord. Why did she stay? She has evidently gone to the tomb, gone back to get Peter and John, and then come back. Probably not as fast as they did, but she came back to the tomb. She's in deep remorse. She loved Jesus for what he had done for her. She was devoted to him. Uh, uh, the redeemed soul should love the Savior, should we not? When he stopped to think of all he has done for us, how could we not love him? And she sets the right example of, of love, the devotion to the followers of the Lord. And what about us? Am I setting the example for the other people? Do you love him the days we ought to? So her discovery, her devotion, look at the darkness also in the same verse. And she stooped. And she was weeping and she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. She focused her eyes on the physical evidence instead of on the Savior who was just really just right behind her. She, all she saw was the empty tomb. Isn't it sometimes you and I, all we see are the negatives and all the problems we had and all the difficulties we sang this morning, count your blessings. We should be doing that. I'm telling you, when you start counting your blessings, it lifts your spirits. Thank God for this. I'm thanking the Lord right now that we usually have air conditioning because I'm about to change shirts and, and undershirts today. I can see you right now. I'm thankful for that. I, I just take it for granted far too often. 
But are you, do you understand what Christ did for us? There was a story, a true story told a long time ago of a family who lost three children, I think probably like within a week, to diphtheria. And only had one three-year-old left. The father was the superintendent of the church. And so the father, that Sunday morning, before Sunday school, and they all met together in the opening part of Sunday school, he read the Easter story. And many were weeping because they knew the father and mother had just buried three of their own children. On the way home, a 15-year-old boy was walking with his grandfather back home, and, and, he said, and he said to his grandfather, the superintendent and his wife must really believe the Easter story. His grandfather said, oh, all Christians believe that. He goes, oh, no, not the way they do. Not the way they do. Do you believe the Easter story? Does it stir you? That he is alive and we are worshiping the one true God? The 1.98 or 1.9 billion Muslims in the world today are all worshiping false Christ. 1.8 or 1.9 billion people and by the way, lots of times they're far more committed than we are here in America to Christ. They're far more committed to their religion, if you would. How's our relationship with Christ? Does, does it move our hearts, what he has done for us? So there's Mary at the tomb. The second big point is the messengers at the tomb, starting in verse 12, 13. And see if two angels in white sitting, one at the head, the other at the feet, and where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She says unto him, because I have taken, they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have lain him. Notice their presence. There's two angels in the tomb. What, the number of witnessing. Their posture, they are seated. If the body had been missing, don't you think those angels and a lot of others would be going to look for it? We're, we're going to find it. No, look, they're seated. Where is the Son of God now? He is seated at the Father's right hand. When you sit down, the job is done. And the, the ministry, he's, he's paid the price. He is seated. He is resting I wonder about our souls this morning. Because he lives, you can rest from your labors. If you are trying to get to heaven on your own agenda, your own labors, I remember it is uh, I remember it is about a year ago or two years ago with Michael Bloomberg of New York City, whose funding, by the way, this other we talked about earlier. Michael Bloomberg said that he is given $50 million. And when he gets to heaven, he's not even going to knock on the door. He's going right in because he's done so much for other people. He's going right into heaven. Uh, yeah, we just it's not about that. You can give to the cows come home. But I'm telling you, it's about a relationship. You must receive him by grace through faith. He must be indwelling you. I'm not asking you who you trusted 40 years ago. I'm asking today. Who are you trusting today as your personal Lord and Savior? Who is it's the same one I trusted when I was six years old? It's not about your works and the plan. That they might have, I'm thinking they want to get Mary stirred up. Woman, why weepest thou? What are you thinking? Shouldn't you be rejoicing? The tomb is empty, but now they had more knowledge than her. But this should be a day of rejoicing. They should have strike up the band. Get the choir warmed up. Get all the choir warmed up. Antiphonal choir warmed up. He's alive. He's alive. Can you imagine what they thought? But two angels sitting there. Wow, there's going to be a lot of humans. Oh, there's going to be a lot of redeemed ones come because their Messiah is alive. And yet, we have, what do we have? We have a few women come, and one of them leaves. But that's so much as a startled glance. We have two men come, 
One of them blunders in, doesn't even still believe, and one, I think, figured it out. And now this woman in front of us is convulsing with sobs because the Lord is gone, but he's just, he's risen. If the angels had come down, I'm telling you, Jerusalem couldn't have handled it. Can you imagine the angelic choir, woo, trumpets blaring? He is alive. But he's not turned the, the gospel message to the angels at this point in time at least. He's given it to me and you. I, I was talking to the guy I filled in for Ron yesterday, the milk carrier, and uh, I forget what his name is, Jeremy maybe? Eric. I said, Derek? I said, you know, most we started talking about that picture back there. I said, you know, the most important thing though is Derek, you know Christ is personal Savior goes, oh, I know him. And so, and what, when you talk about that, and someone just right off the bat says, oh, I know him. If they were to ask you on the street, what, what, are, you, are you a Christian? Like, oh, yes. What do you say? Oh, no. That's not it. Yes. I, you don't have to be quite that loud necessarily, but yes, I have trusted Christ as my personal Savior, and he has changed me from the inside out. There should be no question. And we shouldn't be ashamed, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, Paul wrote. Let's not be ashamed. Let us stand clearly for him. So, Mary at the tomb, the messenger at the tomb, and now the Messiah at the tomb, 14. And when he had thus said, she turned back herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. She is confused. In her weeping, she realizes she's not alone. She sees a man standing near her and does not recognize Christ, and she continues weeping. Isn't that just like us? We have the promise, I will never leave thee or forsake thee, but we fail to see Christ. Our circumstances so blind us to the Christ. You know, this idea, we are to live above our circumstances by God's grace. It's easy to live below our circumstances. And my wife and I were just talking about the, how the different things of, of our past COVID ideology is starting to sort of make its way back in here. And, and we're, we have to stand... To stand. By the way, I think I'm planning on leaving the church open for a period. Amen. And if you want, you know, if that comes back to mask, wear your mask if you want to. If you don't want to wear a mask, don't want to. But we'll agree to disagree. But well, I want to serve. I want. This is his church. And so I want. That's if that comes down the road, I trust it doesn't come to that. But we sometimes we see our circumstances, and man, what's and it is difficult sometimes. But God has promised us. I'm telling you, I won't leave you in the woes. I'm telling you, He's promised to be with us. Get out your Bible. Read His Word. I will never leave thee. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? This is the secret. Wasn't there a book called The Secret that Oprah came up with a secret a few years ago? It, but this, this, it's not a secret. You have the answer and it just won't read it. This is the greatest message ever. Nothing, everything else I love reading, but every other single book, put it on one side and put this on the other, and I still take this one, hands down, without question, the rest of my life. Read it. The secrets, the, the truth. It's a battle for truth. That's what it is. Why weepest thou? Why do you weep when you should be rejoicing? Whom seekest thou? And by the way, it wasn't what? Whom? She was seeking for the Savior, her Savior. And 16, I tear up every time I read 16, pretty much, just about. And he said unto her, Mary. And she turned herself and said unto him, Rabboni. 
Can you imagine having a relationship with God? He says your name. And you say his name. And there's nothing else to say. That he knows you so well. And you know him so well. Oh, Lord, it is you. Don't you long for a relationship like that with God? It is you. He wants to remind her that he's the resurrection in life, the prince of life. He's the one who will lay down his life and take it again. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. She turned herself around after speaking to Jesus evidently in 15 and continued to stare in the tomb weeping. We continue to stare in the tomb at the, the negatives of this. But I'm telling you, we should look to what he has planned for us. What Pastor Wayne and all those who have gone on before us are experiencing now. What we one day, someday it's going to come our turn. It's going to come our turn. Don't you want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Don't you want to hear that? Yes, I trust that you do. That's what we're waiting for. There are those who are mere mortals, and, and one day they, they know they're going to die, and they dread the day. I was talking about, I won't say who, but talking about how this person just evidently fears death. There are a lot of people who don't even want to talk about death. It's like a taboo topic in, in polite society. I'm telling you, it's the thing we should be looking for. As a believer, we're going from the land of the dead, dying to the land of the living. And we, but we just, we just so struggle with that. I've got to hold on here. I gotta, oh, what are you holding on to? If you read the devotion this morning, which I thought was quite poignant uh, from one of the devotional books, in March of 1981, Carl McCunn, a photographer, photographer, paid a bush pilot to land him in a remote lake in Fairbanks, Alaska, to photograph wildlife. He had 500 rolls of film. 1,400 pounds of provisions, two rifles, and a shotgun. Hmm. It seems that he planned for everything but his return flight. In August, he realized he expected plane, that expected plane was not coming. By November, he wrote in dizzying spells and of constant chills. And on December 18, 1981, as he committed suicide, he wrote in his 100-page diary, I think I should have used more foresight about arranging my departure. I think you should have used more foresight. I can tell you there's a vast majority of Americans today who could use more foresight in arranging their departure. The call is a, we find in the, it's a call to redemption. He calls us. He calls his children. We are his sheep and we hear his voice and he knows us. And in John chapter 10, what a beautiful picture there of how that we hear his voice and we follow him for we know the voice of the master. We don't know the voice of the stranger, but we know the voice of the shepherd. Calls him master. What a wonderful thing that was. There was the command. You know, Mary, in verse 17, if you look at other accounts, evidently she had wrapped her arms around his feet or something like that. And he says to her, touch me not. For I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend to my father and to your father and to my God and your God. Isn't it wonderful that the Bible is so explicitly clear right every time? It is my father and your father, not our father. You see the difference there? And it's my God. And your God, but we will never be like Christ in infinity. We'll never be like that. Yeah, we'll be sinless. We have a body like his. 
but we will never be God. And I'm happy with that. I trust you're happy with that too. We will always be learning and growing. He will always be infinitely greater than us and we'll be for eternity serving Him and growing and learning and reading your Bibles and singing praises to Him and worshiping our God. It's going to be wonderful. If you don't think it's going to be wonderful, you need to get your finger changed. You need to get this into this right here. That's why you don't want... That's why church is a, a, a dull conundrum to you. You know, you get ready for church on Saturday and Friday and Thursday and Wednesday and Tuesday and Monday. That's when you get ready for church. And then we just come together. But pastor, you're preaching it so whatever it, it, it is. You can call it whatever you want. Fast. You can't call it slow. But fast and, and erratic and hard to understand and too loud, too soft. But I'm telling you, this never changes. This is what remains the same. The message, and the final is the message from the tomb. It's an unusual message. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord. And they had spoken these things unto her. What unusual, you don't hear that message every day. You know, if you heard today that Diet Mountain Dew is going to become the only soft drink available in the world, that would be an unusual message, a very unwelcome message to many, a very welcome message to a few of us. But unusual it would be. Now, why is it unusual? Because he's alive. He just was buried three days ago. Now he's alive. An unchanging message. He is alive forevermore. In our era, we are still commanded to come and see and then to go and tell. To come and see how to do it. Then go and tell someone else. This is what I've done. This is what you need to do. That's, that's part of all of us. We have to be part of that. And all who come to the tomb and see, and who place their faith and trust in Christ alone for salvation, are saved from their sins. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Those are the truths that we have from this. The message from the tomb is clear. We have a, a resurrected Redeemer. I saw on Facebook just last night, death was the proof that Jesus was human, and resurrection was the proof that He is God. So he is raised by the Father for us. Robert Frost said from our Epoch Times digital, every conservative paper, get the Wall Street Journal as well. Robert Frost said, I love the quotes, the very first thing he says, I always entertain great hopes. I always entertain great, not just hopes, I have the great hope. The great hope that Christ, and it's not this... I, you know, you know. I hope that I hope the dinner's ready, and I hope my pork chops today are done and thoroughly from from beginning. I hope that, and I'm just not sure yet. But I do know my hope is in the Lord. It's Him, and He is coming, and He has saved me, and He is the Redeemer, and I'm going to spend. So it's not this hope. I I hope it gets cooler this week, or hope it rains tomorrow. That's not the hope of the Scripture. The hope is a steadfast assurance. My hope is in the Lord who gave himself for me. That's our hope. Regarding service to, serving the Lord, again from our devotional Fast Tuesday, Abraham Lincoln used to remark that he could get any number of men who were willing to shed the last drop of blood, but found it far more difficult to get men to shed their first drop of blood for what they believed in. Many Christians in like manner, the devotional writer says, would be willing to die for Christ. 
But far fewer are found that will truly live for Him. For to live, for to me, to live. Oh, we know what comes next. But can you honestly say that? I can tell by your life. And you can tell my life by my life as well. So maybe we can honestly say this week, for to me to live is Christ. And to die is woohoo. Now that would be today's like, like yippee! If Paul's writing today, you would everyone say that it wouldn't be so immature. It's gain. That's it. To die is gain. My hope is in the Lord. I trust your hope is in the Lord as well. Thank you for being patient. Let us pray together. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Heavenly Father, as you think about this message, I want to say thank you that you are the risen Lord and Savior. You are my master, and I confess that I have not, do not, always do as I should. I am heart-wrenching if we see us for who we really are. And yet you love us. It's a love, I cannot, amazing love. How can it be? Thou shouldst die to me. Lord, if there be even one person on the sound of my voice on this no electricity afternoon, morning, and they know they need to receive Christ as Savior, may they not halt, may they not falter, may they come right now and receive as we pray in just a moment. And perhaps for baptism, perhaps for church membership. Work in hearts, please. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together, please. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.